to open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 7. I don't know how many of you can tell, but uh, I'm having a little struggle here with my voice today, so please just bear with me. We're thankful for warm weather, but if you're like me when there's that constant change, it just messes with your system. And uh, this week, I've really been struggling with my voice. By the grace of God, we'll, we'll get through this today. And be thankful you don't live in northern Maine. Yesterday, their high was two degrees. Today, it was 10 below zero. So, yeah, we're having a heat wave compared to them. So, just be thankful. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to begin at verse 7. We've held off communion until after I speak because... This message is very much to prepare us for communion. And so I pray that as I am speaking, your heart would be considering communion in a few moments. Paul says, you were running the race well, who has interfered and prevented you from obeying the truth. This deceptive persuasion is not from him who called you to freedom in Christ. A little leaven... A slight inclination to error or a few false teachers leavens the whole batch. It perverts the concept of true faith and misleads the church. This morning I'd like to speak to you for just a few moments a very simple message entitled, Falling Short. Father, glorify your name in this message. I pray, Lord that I would speak this as you would have me to speak it. Lord, not as an angry father, but as a compassionate dad. Father, you've dealt with my heart about this, and now I feel that it's time for me to pass on what you've spoken to my heart to your children. And I just pray, Father, that we would hear your word and we would run with it for your glory and for your honor alone, we ask in Jesus' name. And again, everyone said amen and amen. Before you're seated, would you turn to your neighbor and tell them that you love them in Jesus' name. Bless the Lord. This past Wednesday night, we actually started our study on the book of Second Peter. And I shared with everyone how Peter, despite his rough start, finished strong. Second Peter was Peter's final letter, so it actually served as his farewell address, as his, if you will, last testament, his last testimony. I was sharing with everyone again on Wednesday night that in ancient Jewish culture, they hung on the final words of great and godly men because they believed that those words were very sacred and very holy as they were drawing near to the end of their lives. They saw it as a summary of all that they had experienced with God throughout their lifetime. And so in this letter, completely aware that he was drawing in his final breaths, Peter gives his audience final instructions to live by what he sees coming in the future, and also admonishes them to continue to grow in the grace of God. He finished well, and as a spiritual father, he was committed to leaving behind for those he had nurtured in the faith all that was necessary for them to succeed and to finish well themselves. I can't speak for everyone here today, but I can tell you, that I want to finish strong. How many of you want to finish strong for the glory of God? It has often been stated and repeated that it is not how you start, it is how you finish. And that is true. I would rather have a rocky start and finish strong than to have a strong start and finish rocky and struggling and stumbling. I want to finish stronger than I started out at. I want to be a man of God when I pass from this earth in Jesus' name. But I have learned through the years that that is a challenge. 
Because the truth is, the cost of discipleship escalates exponentially over time. And with that, the tendency to lean into an accommodating gospel rather than a confrontational gospel. A gospel that accommodates the life that I want to live rather than a gospel that confronts my lifestyle and calls me to conform to Christ. I don't want to repeat myself again on Wednesday, but the more the demands of being a follower of Christ begin to cost us personally, and the more it requires of us throughout our days, the more seducible every one of us become to a tainted gospel that promises us the best of both worlds, this world and the world to come, yet without any sacrifice, without any blood, sweat, or tears, without any thought of surrender. It is a gospel that accommodates the life that you choose to live, but promises you the best that this life has to offer and the best that this world to come has to offer. So from the very moment you meet Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior until you draw your final breath, you will be intentional and deliberate about growing in the grace of God if you are not going to settle for some cheap imitation along the way. Can I tell you right now, you got to finish strong. You've got to be determined that you are going to keep growing in the faith. You cannot take a vacation. You can't take any time off. You've got to fight the good fight of faith and finish well in Jesus' mighty name. Now that brings us to our text this morning. Paul, throughout his letter, had expressed his deep concern that the followers of Christ were falling from the grace of God. I wish I had time to really delve into this, but I don't. But in the interest of time, I just want to give you some examples of that. For instance, in Galatians 1 and verse 6, he says to them, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel. In Galatians 3 and verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? And then in Galatians 4, beginning at verse number 9, he says, But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. He makes it very clear that at this time they had abandoned the true gospel and had gone after a different gospel and no longer putting their faith in Christ, they put their faith in works. Now here again in our text he says, you ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? You ran well, you were progressing You were growing in your faith. You were progressing and it was evidenced by the fruit that you were bearing in the Spirit of God. You were running well. Paul knew a few things about running. He knew a few things about running hard for the glory and the honor of God. In fact, you may remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, he says pointedly, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Listen to this. I love this verse. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. And they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown that will not pass away. Later on he would say, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Many of you know that running 
was perhaps Paul's favorite illustration in describing the disciples' journey in Jesus Christ. In fact, at the end of his life, writing to Timothy, he made this observation in 2 Timothy chapter 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There are many scholars who believe that no sooner did he write these words, which would be his final letter, that he was taken off to be beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ. If not that quickly, certainly within the next few days, weeks, or even months. But it was not long after he penned those words that he died. He knew a few things about running the race. But Paul also recognized that finishing the race and not becoming disqualified along the way required running in a certain way. He said a moment ago, run in such a way that you may obtain it. He understood that you couldn't just run any way you saw fit. That there was a particular way you had to run if you were not going to become disqualified. That it would require you being temperate. That it would require you and I being disciplined. And bringing our bodies into subjection. Just as an athlete does not have the luxury of doing what he or she wants to do, neither do you and I have the right to live our life any way we want to, but conform to the way in which we may not only run the race, but obtain the prize at the end. And that is why he says to the Christians here in the city of Galatia, you were running so well and you were making such great progress, now who has hindered you so that you no longer obey the truth? The word hindered is a very interesting word. It was a word that was used in Paul's day by not only the military community, but also the athletic community. In the military community, they would use that word hindered to describe burning a bridge or tearing down a road in the face of an oncoming enemy. You would burn a bridge or you would tear apart a road so that they could not advance upon you. In the athletic community, they would use it to speak of one who cut off another runner so that both of them would lose the race. So employing this word, Paul was saying to them, who is it that cut in front of you and is now keeping you from winning the race? Who is it that is destroyed the road in front of you. And you need to understand that he is not asking for information either. He really isn't searching for the identity of the false teacher or the false teachers because he probably already knows who they are. Rather, he is asking them who they would ever allow to do this to them. He's saying you are growing and you are progressing so well, who would you allow to do this to you? Who would you allow to hinder you from obeying the Word of God and turning from the truth unto a lie? That's what he was saying to them. Saying who it was really doesn't matter to me. I want to know how you could let anybody cause you to leave the gospel of God's grace that saves you and now turn you to a different gospel. But this didn't happen overnight. This was a process that had been going on for quite some time, and we know that because of the illustration that he provides in verse 9. Read it again. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. This was a slow process that had been going on for quite some time. Many of you know that leaven is yeast. It's just that simple. Uh, don't ever get hung up on that word leaven. It's speaking of yeast. And throughout the Word of God, many of you know that yeast or leaven was used as a metaphor. It was used as an illustration. It was used as a type for sin 
or for error, for that which corrupts, for that which contaminates. And it was used to describe how just a little sin, how just a little error, how just a little deviation from the truth can quickly spread and contaminate the whole, whether that is the whole person individually or that is the whole body collectively. What he is simply saying is it doesn't take much. just takes a little error. takes a little contamination. It just takes a little deviation from the truth to very quickly contaminate the whole individual or the whole body of believers. So what Paul is saying here is that I'm sure it didn't start out with a blatant departure from the faith. What he's saying is there was a little contamination that came in, but it quickly spread. And I'm sure that the Christians there in Galatia, they thought to themselves as they heard these false teachers, as they heard these false concepts, say, you know what? I know it's not exactly what Paul taught us, but it's not that bad. I know that it's a little deviation from what Paul has instructed us, but it's really not that far off. I mean, it's just a little compromise, but it's not going to affect us greatly at all. And yet, it had spread so severely through their ranks that now Paul is saying, you are dangerously close to falling away from the grace of Almighty God. Of disqualifying yourself from heaven. Now, this can happen to any of us sitting in this room today. Please do not allow the enemy to whisper in your ear, this can't happen to you. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We can all start out running well progressing, growing, developing in the things of God. But over time, you start getting tired. I was five years old when I received Christ as my Savior. So roughly for 45 years, I've been walking with the Lord. I can tell you, I've gotten tired. How many of you have ever gotten a little tired in your walk with the Lord? Come on, just be honest here today. And if you are not continually being renewed by the Spirit of God, you will get weary, you'll become discouraged, you'll become disappointed, you'll be beat up. And the cost of going all the way with the Lord starts to catch up with you and you begin to see the wear and the tear that following Christ has had on you emotionally, mentally, spiritually, maybe even relationally, financially, And it really grows, you grow weary, it gets tough along those times. And about that time, someone comes along, or a thought enters into your mind that says, you know what, you don't have to really run so hard. You don't have to take this faith so seriously. You don't have to be so diligent, you don't have to be so watchful, chill out. Come on, just just relax a little. Look at all those other people that love the Lord at Bethel. They show up once a week. They're not really connected with anybody. They're not taking their walk with God seriously. And they're all going to heaven. Come on, relax a little bit. After all, you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. So don't worry about every time you stumble and fall. Don't worry about being diligent to give God everything. Come on. God wants you just to relax, enjoy this earth, and then look forward to heaven. And it seems so innocent. It seems so small. It seems so insignificant because you're so overwhelmed That you finally give in. But it's that little contamination. It is that little deviation that begins to affect everything in our walk with God. 
It's that little thought. It's that little deviation that actually is tearing out the road that you have been called to travel on. It is cutting you off so that you will not finish the race that is set before you. Folks, the Bible makes it very clear that it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. The enemy knows enough not to come in like a bull in a china shop. He just comes in very subtly because if he can get you to compromise just a little, deviate just a little, he knows that eventually that will corrupt your whole walk with God. You know, I remember here several weeks ago I was uh, spending some time with Ignite, our college-age ministry. And I shared with them, you know, if, if I'm aiming for something that is just 10 feet in front of me, and I am off just a fraction in my aim, when I finally fire, the impact is not going to be that discernible. It didn't have that far to travel. So you may see that there's a slight There's a slight miss, but you'd never really be able to detect just how far off I was because it didn't travel that far. However, if I'm aiming for something that is a 100 yards removed from me, and I'm off the same fraction, trust me, it is going to be very observable how much I missed by Because it had further to travel. And the further it had to travel, the more that gap grew. And folks, the truth is, is that I can be a little off in my theology or my understanding of God. I can be a little off on my understanding about salvation and what it means to be born again. I can be a little off on my understanding of what God requires of me and my worship. I can be a little off. And over a few weeks or a few months, there's not going to really be that much of a difference. I'm still in the infancy of my walk with God. But you extrapolate that over years, decades, and a lifetime. And I'll tell you, by the time I draw my last breath, I will be in serious, gross error. And there are men and women who are moving further and further away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ but come into church every Sunday and claim their great love for Him. They don't love the God of the Bible. They love the God they've created in their own mind. The frightening thing here is that if I read the Bible correctly, by the time you find out, it will be too late. The damage will have already been done. And we cannot repair it. That's a struggling thought. But I didn't say it. Jesus did. At the very end of his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, he said these words, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide and accommodating is the gate. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. And why not? It's easy. It doesn't demand anything of me. It promises me heaven, but without any sacrifice. It's Christianity light. Same taste, less calories. It is Christianity light. You can have it all, but you don't have to live such a restricted life. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Jesus would later go on to say these words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, or you who practice life without restraint. Those of you who practice life without submitting to the law of God. 
and what God requires of you. Don't let anybody ever tell you that obedience is optional for the believer. We are still bound to obey our God in what he has revealed in the word. And I have shared this with you. It's not a pleasant thought, but the reality is, as you read it here, every one of these many that stood before Jesus saying, how can this be, went into eternity absolutely convinced that they had an intimate relationship with God while on this earth. And that is evidenced by those words, Lord, Lord. It is underscoring, you've heard me say this a number of times, it is underscoring intimacy. In ancient Jewish culture, they would emphasize intimacy by saying the name twice. Lord, Lord. You're not just the Lord, you're my Lord. Every one of these men and women on this earth were absolutely convinced that they had an intimate relationship with Almighty God. And if you had told them otherwise, they would have said, you are crazy, you are out of your mind. They would have gotten deeply offended. Every one of them believed that when the rapture took place or when they died, they'd immediately be with the Lord. And when they got before the Lord, the Lord said, not only do I not know you, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. Because there was lawlessness. Because you wanted to live your life the way you determined it was right. And it may not have been discernible initially, but now in eternity you find that not only did you not know me, you never, you never, never had a relationship with me. And that's why we're encouraged by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't ever again let anyone tell you that it's just one and done. Come to the altar, say, Jesus, come into my heart, and you're in. Folks, examine yourself on a regular basis. Am I in this faith? Not in the faith I've created in my own mind, but am I in the faith that is revealed in the Holy Scriptures? Not what someone taught me, not what someone told me, not something I read in the book. Am I in this faith? Because the slightest deviation from the truth could prove eternally disastrous and bring us to a state from which there is no repair, there is no return. I told you last week that over the last five or six weeks now, there have been two portions of Scripture on my heart. I shared with you one last week from Psalm 61. This is the second one. This has been hard on my heart. The Lord took me to task on these things long before I brought them to you. But my greatest concern is that there are some of you here today, and when I say some, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. I am just saying that in a crowd this size, there has to be some, and maybe more than what we would even want to admit. Some, you have, whether you realize it or not, Peace fitted together your own gospel. You've heard this preacher say this. You've read this preacher write that. You, you've listened to this person and that person. And you have peace fitted together your gospel. And you believe it. And you are committed to it. And you are obeying it. But folks, can I tell you. If it's not an accurate gospel from this book, then no matter how sincere you are in what you believe, you are sincerely wrong. And you may not notice it here, but you'll notice it in heaven. But then it'll be too late. Are you sure 
that the gospel you adhere to is the gospel that saves. Because just a little leaven will infect the whole. Do you know the Lord? This morning, as we prepare for communion, what I'd like to do is just show you three very specific warnings that are given to us in a letter we know is Jude. Jude was the half-brother of Christ. Jude wrote one letter. And in it, he gives three specific warnings, three areas of examination, three small contaminations, three different kinds of leaven, if you will, that can easily get into your theology, if you will, and can absolutely spread until you have a contaminated gospel. And folks, these are just heavy on my heart. I'm not going to take a long time with any of them. I just want you to consider the gospel you adhere to. Is it infected with any of these? If you want to, you can turn with me to Jude. There's no chapters in Jude. It's just verses 10 and 11. If not, they're on the screen. Just follow along with me. Jude, verses 10 and 11. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally. That's an important word. Like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. When he calls them brute beasts, what he is saying is that just like a wild animal is driven by their instincts and their base nature, these men and women in the church are just driven by their instincts. What feels right, what seems right, what just comes natural to them. It is amazing to me as I walk among believers today, the naturalism that is in the church where men and women are doing what feels right, what seems right, what, what just feels like the right thing to do, what just naturally comes to them and have no idea how to conform themselves to the word of the living God Almighty. That have absolutely no idea how to read the word of God and apply that to their heart and to their life. And when you call them on it and you say, wait a minute, this is how the word of God says that you need to deal with that. They get angry and disturbed with you because they're brute beasts who have no interest in making an intelligent decision informed by the word of God, but want to go with their gut. What feels good at the moment. Folks, don't be that way. Jude says, woe to them. Destruction is coming for they have gone, listen to this, in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. He lists three very specific contaminants that can get into our lives And I just want you to be as honest as you possibly can with your God, not with me, but with your God today. Have any of these contaminants gotten in to your heart? Can I go through them very quickly with you as we get ready for communion? First of all, we are in danger when works replace worship. When works replace worship. Jude begins by talking about the way of Cain. Now, many of you know that Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, but he was also the brother of Abel. And you know the story of Cain and Abel. Abel, we are told by faith, offered a more excellent sacrifice. He brought the blood sacrifice. More importantly, he brought the sacrifice that God had required. God said, this is the way that you will approach me in the blood sacrifice. And by faith, he submitted himself to the plan of God and came in the prescribed manner. But Cain did not. Cain, as you remember, offered a sacrifice of his own choosing. A sacrifice that was more suitable to him. No one, not even God, was going to tell Cain how to worship. 
No one, not even God, was going to tell Cain what was acceptable and what was proper. He was going to determine that. He was going to be the one that decided how he was going to come to God, what was proper, what was acceptable. What is interesting is, Cain recognized he needed to go to God. It wasn't like he was rejecting God completely. He knew that he had to go to God, but he was going to go to God on his own terms. He was going to determine what God would require of him. He was not going to submit himself to God's plan, but rather to the plan that he had developed himself. That's the sin here. So let me ask you, do you worship God as prescribed in the word? Or do you just make up the rules as you go? Do you worship God as you see what Scripture says? Or do you make up the rules? Do you worship Him the way you want to worship Him? Do you interpret Scripture as it is written? Or do you interpret Scripture through your particular lens that has been developed through experiences, through past teachings, by your favorite and pet doctrines? I mean, are are you actually studying the Word of God to show yourself approved unto the Lord? Do you rightly divide it? Do you really know how to set aside all the commentaries? And all of the other voices and really dig out the word of God and apply it to your life? Or do you just simply go with what feels right, what seems right, and call it gospel truth? (laughs) It's quiet here today. We're nothing more than Pharisees, I'm afraid. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day, you know it. So they were considered the religious experts. And this is what Jesus said of them. These people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. They recognize that I deserve worship and they draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart, which is their will, is far from me. So in vain, they worship me. Or in other words, their worship is empty. Has no significance and no meaning. I don't care what people say about me. I care about how they live before me. See, we think that God is somehow fooled by the fact that we had our hands up a few moments ago and we're praising Him. God says, no, 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 no. I love it when it comes from a pure vessel, but I was watching you Monday through Saturday. I was watching how you treated your wife. I was watching your disrespect to your husband. I watched how you cheated. Don't come in thinking I've missed all of that. I'm God. Now listen to that next part. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. What, was, what, what does that mean? It means they just made up in their mind what was right and taught it as doctrine. And aren't we guilty of that? Aren't we guilty of just bypassing the word of God and just coming up with what we think and then just teaching it as doctrine? I heard this week some people still struggle with tithing. And so they just, we don't have to tithe. Ignoring what the word of God says. Ignoring that Jesus said that we should tithe. Ignoring it completely. And now they teach for themselves a doctrine that they've invented of themselves. And that is what the American church has become. If I don't agree with it, I will find a way to teach as doctrine a commandment that I've invented myself. By the way, if I mention tithing once a year, that's a lot for me. You know that. I want you to give because you have a humble heart before the Lord. 
But even a pastor every once in a while has got to tell you what the Word of God says. Folks, do you adhere to the Scriptures? Or do you just teach for doctrine the commandments you've invented? The Pharisees simply made up the rules as they went. Everything was a show for them, but they never followed the Lord from their heart. Is that you? Does the doctrine that you follow, does it replace true worship where you present your body a living sacrifice? Holy, acceptable, pleasing unto Him? Where you are no longer conformed to the world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, proving that good, acceptable, perfect will of God? Is that being replaced with what you now deem acceptable? Can it honestly be said that the way you live throughout the day, the way that you go after God, the heart that you have for Him, can it honestly be said that that is right from the Word? Or is that just what you've invented? Because it accommodates the way you want to live. (laughs) Do you seethe with anger toward those who teach you the Word of God? Do you get offended when they call out areas in your life that you refuse to surrender? Like when you, like some of you, I can tell right now, like I just know, some of you are angry at me right now. Angry. And when you get out, the first words in your mouth, can you believe that he said? And, and you'll never go here. You're judging me by your opinion, not by the word of God. If I'm wrong, show me, because I want to be right. Don't get angry. Get offended. Do you have the leaven of works? Because if you do, it's spoiling your soul. And it may be too late if you don't stop soon. Secondly, you're in danger when amusement replaces accuracy. We are the most amused and entertaining generation that has ever walked on this planet. Let's be honest. Entertainment, pleasure, and amusement is our God in this country. Jude says that if amusement has crept into your gospel, then you have a leaven that is contaminating your whole walk with God. Jude talks about the greed of Balaam. Balaam's story is found in Numbers chapters 22 through 25. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it, okay? (laughs) And I'm not even going to go through the whole story. I'm just going to give you a snippet here. Balaam was a prophet at the time when Israel was in conflict with the Moabites. And the king of the Moabites wanted to hire Balaam to curse the children of Israel. And Balaam wanted to because he loved money. But he could not bring himself to curse the children of Israel because he knew that they were not cursed. But because he wanted to be wealthy, because he loved money, because he loved pleasure... He came up with a scheme and he said to the king of, uh, of the Moabites, listen, I can't curse them. The only one that can curse them is God. And the only reason he would curse them is if they sinned against him. So I got a plan. Why don't you get some gorgeous women and have them parade in front of the Israelite men because I know their hearts. They will commit sexual fornication and God will curse them for their sexual perversion and sin. In other words, he put a stumbling block before Israel. They did sin. Balaam was judged for this. But understand that for the sake of amusement, for the sake of lust, for the sake of gratification, for the sake of his love for money, Balaam was willing to compromise the accuracy of God's word. And today, we are no better. Because if I had to bet the majority of believers will always allow entertainment, amusement, satisfaction, and gratification trump their accurate life before the Word of God. So I ask you today, does your gospel allow you amusements and entertainment of any kind with no thought of God's heart 
in the matter? Or does the word of God set the parameters of how you conduct yourself even with amusement and entertainment? Listen, I I look around today and men and women will think nothing of watching movies that have absolutely, absolutely, not only nothing to do with God, but stand in the face of what God loves and honors. And we think it's okay because it's not me that's doing it. I'm not approving of it. It's just a good story. Who said it was a good story? You or God? Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come because men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Sounds like reading the morning news. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. One of the greatest perils of the last day is that men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and will be content having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Lovers of pleasure... Rather than the lovers of God are perfectly content, content with having a form of godliness, with going to church on Sunday morning, with living a good and moral life, but never really having the life-transforming experience with the Holy Spirit where the old has passed away and everything has become brand new. Listen, I know that we all want to unplug from time to time. I know that we all need to just kind of get away, but I'm asking you, does your desire for entertainment and amusement trump your relationship with God? If we were to look at all of our bank statements, all of us, and how much money we spend, would the money we spend prove that we are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, or lovers of God more than lovers of pleasure? How much money do we spend going to the movies? How much money do we spend having cable? How much money do we spend filling our homes with things that grieve the heart of God? If we were to look at the time that we spend, is that time going to prove that we're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God or lovers of God rather than lovers of pleasure. Say, Pastor Kerr, we got to rest. You've got all of eternity to rest. You've got to fight the good fight of faith now. Folks. I got to be careful because I know the kids are with us today. Sexual sin is rampant even in the church. We got pastors even today that that say it's not really that big of a deal. Folks, let me just tell you something. God has made it very clear and God gave us all of the desires that we have. But God says you practice it one way between a husband and a wife, a male and a female within the context of marriage. Any other, any other practice is a deviation from the truth. It is a sin against Almighty God. Does the Word of God define your life or do amusements and entertainment? And then finally, we're in danger when stubbornness replaces submission. When stubbornness replaces submission. Finally, he speaks of the rebellion of Korah. Now, Korah's story is found in number 16. And again, you can read these. I hope you do. Many of you know that Korah was a very prominent man in Israel. But he resented the authority that God had given to Moses and to Aaron. And he resisted their authority 
And he questioned their authority whenever he could. The Bible tells us that one day in number 16 in verse 3 that they all came out and gathered against Moses and Aaron and Korah said, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among us all. So why then do you, Moses and Aaron, exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? See, Korah would not believe that God had raised up Moses and Aaron to lead the people. And they went before him and said, who do you think you are? We can all hear from God, Moses. You're not the only one that can hear from God. We're all holy before the Lord. And listen, to a certain extent, that's true. Everyone could have been as holy before the Lord as Moses. Not everyone was. And they all could hear the voice of the Lord. There was no one that was questioning that. Not even Moses or Aaron. But the idea was that God had raised up leaders among them so that they would guide them and lead them and that they would have what they felt God laid on their heart verified by one that was actually in a position of authority. Korah hated that. He resented it. Fought against him. And the Bible tells us, in no uncertain terms, God opened up the ground and swallowed them alive. Let me tell you something, folks. The kingdom of God is all about submission. Now, I'm going to tread through this very lightly, but it's all about submission. The Apostle Paul actually said, submit one to another, every one of you. Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second was just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But you know what love is. Love is disinterested benevolence. Love is emptied of all selfish interest and all selfish motive. So to love the Lord God with all of my heart is to submit to God. To love my neighbor as I love myself is to submit to them. To prefer them over myself. That's all that it is. Love is submission. Submission is love. They are synonyms. We don't think of it that way. We're not talking about subjection where it's by force. We're talking about submission where it is by love. And that is the way the kingdom of God is established, that we would submit one to another. But we also have to realize that God does raise up men and women in in times to lead a nation, to lead a church. He gives elders, he gives deacons, and he gives them authority. Does it mean that they or we or I am better than anyone else or more spiritual? Of course not. That's not the issue. Certainly you should want a maturity in your pastor that maybe you do not see in the, in the rest of the church, but it's not that I am a better man of God. It's not that God speaks to me any more than he speaks to you. It is just that, and trust me, I didn't sign up for this. I ran from the call of God for four years because I didn't want to be in ministry because I know what people are like. I was one. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. I didn't want to do that. But God put me here, and what I want to ask you today, are you submitted? And I'm not judging you. Do you submit? To your pastors. You submit to elders and deacons. When you feel the Lord putting something on your heart that is, that is life-changing. We're talking about like big things. You don't have to call me up every morning to find out what to wear. I'm not... Maybe some of you do. I don't, <laughs> no, I'm just teasing you. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> no, you're pretty good. But I'm talking about life, like jobs, moving. You know, uh, divorce, like change the life you're, you know, change the life that you're living kind of choices. Do you ever feel compelled to come to a pastor, to an elder, to a deacon? Well, I've got my, no, God didn't call your friends to be 
those in authority over you. He called certain men to be leaders over you so that you would go, that they wouldn't lord over you, but that they would help you to discern if this is the right thing to do. My goodness, even I do that. Why do you think I have elders? So that I can meet with them at least once a month and say, this is what I'm feeling. Not just on this level, my personal life. I go to them and I say, this is what I'm feeling. I want you to pray over it. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. I'd be a fool to just think I've cornered the market on truth. I need to submit my life. Are you submitted? Or do you resist leadership when you don't agree with them? (laughs) Do you say, well, I can hear from God for myself. I don't need to go to Pastor Kurt. He grew up in Maine. (laughs) What does he know about Jersey life? I don't know about Maine life. I don't know about Jersey life. I do know a thing or two about the Christian life. Okay. I can show you. Folks, we've got to be submitted. If there is a stubbornness in you, if there's a rebellion that is in you, that you will not seek out the counsel of godly men, there's a contamination in your doctrine. And over the long haul, it could prove disastrous to your walk with God. Listen to what it says. Josh, you can come. In verse 8 of Jude, he says this, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Listen, please, do not be a stubborn, rebellious person. Submit. I can already hear people say, well, what if they ask me to do something that is immoral or unbiblical? Well, we all know that you don't have to follow somebody that asks you to do something immoral or unbiblical. But just because you don't agree doesn't mean it's immoral or unbiblical. And people just feel like I only have to submit when I agree. No, you don't. I'm going to tell you, as a man under authority, there are many things I've submitted to that I didn't agree to. But because I'm under that authority, I submit. And can I tell you, I have watched God do greater things in my life because I've learned to submit than had I resisted that authority. God always works under submission. Remember what he said to uh, the, the centurion who understood that faith works by submission. He says, I, I know what submission is all about. I, I say a word and my soldiers, they do exactly what I tell them to do. But that's because I'm submitted to Rome. And Jesus said, I haven't found that kind of faith in all of Israel. Are you submitted? Folks, listen, this is coming right from my heart today. I fear. Because I think there are some of you, you're sincere And some of you think, well, just as long as I'm sincere, God knows my heart. Folks, listen, he he does know your heart. But that in no way, shape, or form lets you off the hook. God has revealed his way right here. There's no excuse. Are you diligent? With this, I close. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be to you. He said, Timothy, this is basically what he's saying. Make sure you guard this in your life. And do not be misled by religious sayings. Because in professing it, many have strayed from the faith. Be careful, folks, that you're not creating your own gospel and that you're falling away. Make sure that you're guarding and protecting the true gospel in your life and that you walk with the Lord. In Jesus' name.
Heads bowed, eyes closed. We're going to receive communion for the sake of heaven today. Would you please search your heart for these words and